Welcome back to Pastor Plex Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Plex. So glad to have with me in studio, none other than Megan DeZalo. Megan, you have been a featured guest here many a time, and the clamor of the crowds has brought you back. So thank you for joining clamor us once again. Crowds. Yes, you're welcome. All right, so... You know, uh, as a professional name stormer, it's, I had to put some good alliteration to my words right there. We love alliteration, yeah. name stormers. That's what's so fun. You should be a namer. I, you know, I should be. All right, so here's a question that um, someone had directly for you. All right, how do you <laughs> witness to people who are seemingly more versed in scripture? I felt completely ill-equipped talking to an atheist Jew, which is sort of an oxymoron, uh, right. who was throwing out all the Hebrew words in jargon. They made me feel like they knew Judaism and Christianity better than I did. What do you do? My first question was your question is, what is an atheist Jew? Yeah. That's a whole different topic. <laughs> I guess I, part of what their meaning is a person who is Jewish culturally, right. but atheist spiritually. I would first like to tell this person they probably were ill-prepared, and I don't think it was their fault. My first thought with this person is that they are maybe an intellectual skeptic that they were potentially in a place where they wanted to either show how smart they were maybe, or they wanted to argue or which to me shows like that's coming from a place of hurt. And so when I've gotten in conversations with people like that, that are clearly smarter than me or more well-versed or have more knowledge in a specific area that I don't, I tend to try to stay away from more of the intellect and the knowledge that they have. And I kind of want to try to get more to their story and who they are or share my story and who I am. So you're going to go away from, let's not debate the stuff of Hebrew and Greek. Let's talk about my life testimony. Because I think the one thing no one can take away from you is your own experience. Exactly. And so you can say, here here is what Jesus did for me. Uh, And maybe maybe this might help because 1 Peter 3, 15, 16 says this, but in your hearts, Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Now, here's, here's what the confidence we can have. The entire Christian faith was not built on the educated. It was built mm-hmm. on the backs of the poor and ignorant and those who simply just took Jesus at his word. And then from there, there is great the beautiful thing about the gospel, it's simple enough for a child to understand, but the unmatchless thing, it's so beautiful, so deep that even the most aged professor, most learned person is going to just never, the volumes of books to be written is endless on who Jesus is and what he has done and the deepness and greatness of our salvation. So there is a place to learn. And I think it's, it's important for us as Christians to, um, to educate ourselves, uh, like I don't think it's it's okay to be in blind ignorance, but I do think the Bible is powerful enough uh, to defend itself against those who would say, uh, if they're coming with Jewish and Hebrew words, you just say, here's what I know, Christ crucified. Right. That's what I know. Yeah, I was gonna say the two things that I think you should always come into that conversation with is the gospel, being able to articulately explain the gospel and what it is and what you believe, Mm -hmm. but then also your personal story and how the gospel has changed your life. Other than that, you don't have to know the answers to everything. You don't have to know what that person knows. Um, But like you said, the one thing they can't do is argue kind of with your experience and you wanna get them away from, I think, arguing and more so in a spiritual, emotional conversation rather than an intellectual, more heady conversation. Well, what if you don't have a sexy testimony? I I think that's what a lot of people are worried about. What's your testimony? 
I was a five-year-old Christian. I, that's, I went to Awana's. I did backer Bible clubs. My dad's a pastor. I grew up, you know, knowing the gospel and being able to explain it to you in five different ways right. as a five-year-old. And right. so when I answer, when I have to think about the question, like, who were you before Christ? It's like, I was a screaming toddler before Christ, <laughs> technically. Um, and so I think when I share my testimony, it's more about the journey of how mm. the gospel was relevant to me at every season of my life and yeah. how I realized more and more of God's truth and how I had to continue to preach the gospel. And how is that now? How is that now? And get a little closer to the mic because you are a soft-spoken, amazing person. <laughs> How is what now? Like how, what's the gospel look like in your life right now? So like, it's not that there I was a drug addict strung out right. and then um, I said no to crack and yes to Jesus, but it was, what is it right now for you? Oh, for me, I think it's being, I think coming off of a season of anxiety, I say a season, I think it's something that is part of my life day in and day out, but how, I'm how do you on think, a daily- For those of us who have zero understanding of anxiety, what does that mean? I mean, it's incessant fear and worry about all kinds of things, anything and everything. It could be finances. It could be your marriage. It could be your body. It could be the future. It could be your children. It's- um, And so do you, like, so when unchecked, do you just sort of spiral in that? It's what is a total that like? mental spiral. And you start to believe things that are true that are that are not true in your mind. And a lot of it's just lies and- um, and how, do you, how does the gospel apply there? So, because this is, I feel like this is powerful for this person who's like, I got this Jewish atheist person. They're, they're giving me all this rhetoric about uh, the Bible. And then, but if you would, you've met that person, you'd say, well, Jesus met me here and this is what it looks like. What does it look like? I think for me on a daily basis, it's having first to be aware of the things that are not true. Mm. And in, to be aware of something that's not true, you have to be aware of the truth. And so right. I have to be constantly feeding myself what is the gospel? And do I have to keep believing these lies or these things that are fearful and are they true? Okay, I'm gonna pause you right there because I think that's really good. I think one of the things for the person who's asking the question is you focus on what is true because usually what the right. person is trying to do is like, well, you can't really trust and you can't really, and right. like, there's this right. other, this was written in the Hebrew context of blah, 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 blah. And you may not have a clue about, it. I'm sure there's plenty of Hebrew stuff I don't even know. And I'm a pastor that has a master's in theology. And so somebody could totally bring something up and I would go back to, here's what I'm experiencing now with Jesus. And so for you, Megan, with anxiety, you're able to say, I start, start with the truth and I end with the truth. So how does that impact you when you bring like, I have this fear of my body's going to get sick or whatever? I mean, it's not always immediate, but I will say, I mean, your thoughts control everything. Your thoughts control your behaviors. They control your, um, your interactions with your mm -hmm. relationships. And so for me, it's about trying to control my thoughts. And I do that with scripture. If I try to use my own personal truth or my own self-talk about, oh, I'm going to be fine or everything's going to be great or I can willpower my way it's through like this. Yeah, a Christmas, like it's Christmas. I'm going to play Christmas music. Everything's going to be okay. Well, I think we all try to fix ourselves by just telling us things that make us feel better. Right. But those Positive are, affirmations. Right. You can do it. You are, those are smart empty. enough. Those are totally good empty. Enough. Gosh darn it, people like you. I think there is a real sense that that's, that is how I think the world is able to interact. And I, my challenge for this Jewish atheist person like, what do you do when you're on the brink of despair? What do you tell yourself when, the, if there is no God, that everything is going to be okay? Or do you just in that moment fall flat on your face and just spiral and just go numb yourself to the reality of the despair that you're experiencing? Because that ultimately, it's either you choose a coping mechanism of right. alcohol, drugs, sex, you know, video games, 
uh, streaming a different show, or you uh, turn your hope to God and Jesus, or maybe you work really hard. You're going to cope somehow. What is the coping mechanism? And the only coping mechanism that is forever going to work is the one that's eternal, because there will be some point where you can't work. There'll be some point where the money will run out and it's fleeting. Mm -hmm. The economy could take a downturn at any moment. And so I, I think that that's a struggle for a lot of people. Right. And I think with this person in particular, I would, the person who's arguing or mm. kind of talking about Hebrew or their cultural Jewish background or whatever it is that they're hung up on, I would say, man, you've seemed really passionate about this or there's something that you've really studied or you've researched. What's behind that? Why, right. How have you gotten to where you are today? Or what are you hung up on exactly? Or what is your story? And I would just try to trace it back down yeah, to that usually, root. Because you kind of just, usually somebody's problem with Jesus is not theological. It's usually, I'm not saying this blanket, but usually it's they had some interaction with a Christian or a circumstance in their life. And they say, if this happened, uh, I lost my spouse, I lost my child, I had this disease, I have this thing, then there can be no God. And so instead of conforming my reality to the fact that there is a God who does love me and this is all part of his plan, even though it's really painful and I don't fully understand, I've got to trust him. We just do away with that because I can't conceive of a God who, who is loving allowing this to happen. So therefore there is no God. And if there is no God, there is no hope. And if there is no hope, I have to now create values and a, create a subjective worldview that can make me deal with the fact that pr- things aren't the way they should be. Right. All right, so how do you train your children in this? As a mom, you know, you've got four children uh, you've in, uh, ranging in ages from uh, seven to one, right, or under. Uh, how, do you, how do you deal with that in training your kids now? You know, you're taking your, five, your five-year-old Megan experience, now your uh, 30-plus Megan-year-old experience, and then now how do you interact like, with that? Like, how do I train my children how do you to train your witness children? and mm-hmm. to evangelize to other oh, no, children? But more important, or no, just how? How do they can preach the gospel to themselves now? Like, what's your, do you have a strategy for that, that you kind of working with them on? That, you know, five-year-old Megan got it, now you have seven-year-old Jack who's, uh, is, he's got to interact with the gospel. How do you, how do you do that? Oh gosh, I mean, I'm, I model it for them and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm vulnerable with them about my own struggles to a certain degree. Yeah, tell me about that. And like, I think how- it's, as parents, we like to protect our children from things and we like to, put on this kind of vibe that it's okay, we've got it, everything's good, everything is fine, I'm fine. But I have been vulnerable with them just even about my own struggles, especially with my son, Jack, who gets scared every single night about the other night he was in tears because of sinkholes and he couldn't go to sleep because we our house was going to fall into a sinkhole. And I started laughing and giggling a little bit. And then I was like, Jack, I'm sorry, I'm not making fun of you, I'm not. And I was like, I know, I get the what fact you that your seven year old knows what your seven year old knows what sinkholes <laughs> he are. He all kinds of things like that, and so it sounded ridiculous to me. But I felt so much compassion for him because I was like, I may not be terrified of sinkholes, but I'm terrified of a lot of things that, in my mind, are totally mm, real mm-hmm. and I believe are going to happen, and that feels very panicky. And so I sit down with him, and I'm like, I'm I'm not making fun of you. I'm laughing because I get it. Yeah, I'm laughing because I really I I understand, you are my and son. I, I you're my son. <laughs> I understand you, I get you, and there is a way out of this. Like, so this how do you temporary. preach the gospel to him in that moment? Are you saying, like, here are the things that are true, sinkholes aren't going to take us yes. out? Or So we talk first, 
realistically about it. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, let's talk about the sinkhole. <laughs> let's let's face your, I'm not going to sit here and say, no, 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 we're not going to think about the sinkhole. We're not going right. to talk about it. Like, no, you've it's a real thing to you. Yeah. So let's go ahead and talk Good. about it. What is your deepest fear? What do you think is going to happen? Let's get down to the root of how awful this could be. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to talk about realistically why that's probably not going to happen. We're going to talk about sinkholes. And then we're going to take it back to God though. But ultimately, like, I, it's not just good enough that sinkholes are probably not going to happen because bad things do happen in life, right. Jack. They really do. Bad, like, you will get disappointed. You will get hurt. You will get let down. And in those moments, what do we do? We're going to go to God. We're going to first tell him what we're scared of. We're going to tell him all the things that we're scared of. But then we're also going to be reminded and by going to scripture or you know, his word. And we're going to be reminded of who he is, which is that he is in control. He is, he is good. He's going to work out all, all things for the good of those who, you know, love him and follow mm-hmm. him. And, um, but it doesn't mean that things are going to be easy and we just pray about it. And usually after that, he's Fine. feeling a little bit better in the moment, right. but it always comes back. Sure, It's never going to be just a one and done thing. And so it's just a, this constant reminder of, I don't have to fear this, you know, because Jesus died on the cross for, for us and just the truths over and over and over again that I have to tell myself. Yeah even as a 32-year-old. Um, so yeah, it's a daily thing. It's not a one I agree. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that just talking with scripture with my children is just reminding them of that. And then whenever they do encounter problems, they say, I, then I prayed, or then I asked Jesus, or then I... Right. It, those things happen because they get modeled. Um, I, I love what you said. It's, it's the modeling of it. So like, there was a point which I was like sad about something. And I told Austin, I just want you to sit with me because I feel sad. I want to feel you close to me because I love being next to you because you bring me joy. But ultimately, my joy comes from the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. I need a reminder that of God's love for me because my love for you. And so I think there's a, a, a way to articulate that in a way that you're constantly, this gets back to Deuteronomy 6, is as you are going on the way, uh, talk about the things of God. Always have put the law on your hearts. And for us, it's to put grace on our hearts that we will always have put faith over fear wherever we turn. And that will be transformative in uh, a child's life. But then ultimately, that's what you need to be transformative in an adult life. And if you've never had that experience because you didn't grow up uh, in a Christian family where the gospel was preached all the time, what do you think, uh, what do you advise someone to do that has anxiety, that they've never been able to, and it feels like we've shifted from the the original question, but I think it all gets back there. Like, how do you advise someone who didn't grow up like that to preach the gospel to themselves? And then secondly, how can they then take that to their, um, the person challenging them with their faith that it's legit and real and not just a subjective coping mechanism? I think you have to surround yourself with people that are going to preach the gospel to you. It's it's hard to just do that for yourself when you don't have people around you that are also reminding you of that. I mean, I can't say that. That is so true. And this is why we don't neglect the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Because if you do, then you won't be reminded. That's You don't come to church you know, for the shot in the arm. I mean, although you could call it that. You come to church for uh, the reality of the gospel being proclaimed. You, you're involved in communities. So there are people that can preach. When you you're, you have a fear, you need to, re, or sin or darkness, you need someone to preach the gospel over you. Because that's the only way that you're going to be able to deal with the reality of life. And again, it always goes back to, if there is no God, then all you're left with is despair because there is no truth. There is no good. There is no evil. There's just um, deep darkness of despair. And the only way to, to then create a reality out of that, Nietzsche would say, is that you would then 
pull in a subjective reality that you would just give value to the universe, putting yourself in the place of God, which is always dangerous because you don't have the power of control. It's all an illusion of your mind. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anyway, any other thoughts on that? No. Yeah. That's- I think we, we, we hammered that question out pretty well. I think so. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for listening. Um, if you want to join the conversation, you can uh, find us at pastorpleck.com or you can just text us at 737-231-0605. Thank you, Megan, for stopping in uh, this morning to really engage this really great yeah. question. Because uh, I feel like it's something that we're, a lot of people actually are wrestling of what am I supposed to do with someone who knows more than me and when they ask me about my faith. So thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Have an awesome week of worship. Worship.